Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Health Points. I am your host Ben Wilkins and I will be going solo today uh, as Pete couldn't make it unfortunately. However, we have a fantastic guest in David Wortley. Uh, David is the Vice President of the International Society of Digital Medicine. He is a serial entrepreneur with a 50-year career that spans emerging technologies, including telecommunications, computer, digital media, and the creative industries. He was the founding director of the Serious Games Institute at Coventry University and responsible for the development of the Institute as a global thought leader on the application of immersive technologies. David has many publications on learning technology, defence and health application, and has written numerous papers on technology and society. David, it's fantastic to have you join us on the show today. Well, thank you very much, Ben. It's my pleasure to be with you this afternoon, and I, I have a, a great deal of uh, respect for the work that uh, that you and Pete Jenkins have been doing in, in, in gamification. I think what you're doing is... Um, really uh, innovative um, and uh, super examples of how gamification can be applied, particularly in the health sector. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to hear from some of our listeners as well who get in touch to kind of highlight the role of, of health gamification, but also give our listeners some real valuable tips uh, and skills to go away how to better embed gamification in their work, whether that's clinically or if they work for tech companies. Um, what does gamification look like? What does good and bad gamification look like and what are the frameworks they can better embed there. Uh, so it would be great to start off, David, by understanding about your background and how you ended up founding the Serious Games Institute. Well, sometimes it's a mystery to me, actually, when you think about my my career and my background, because I, my, I started off life as an uh, electronic and electrical engineer. That's what I studied at Birmingham University. I had a scholarship with uh, Post Office Telecommunications, as it was then. And uh, so I, I went to Birmingham University and studied electronic electrical engineering. And when I came out, um, I, I'd come to the conclusion that I was much more interested in working with people than I was with uh, electrical engineering. And so uh, I was uh, asked when I graduated what part of the post office I would like to go into, uh, whereas most of my colleagues uh, chose something like research at uh, Marklesham, where BT now have their research headquarters. Um, I said that I was more interested in management and working with people. And they took me at my, my word and I found myself as a, a young graduate in charge of a, a team of uh, engineers in uh, the Leicester telephone area, where I spent um, a good seven years there um, as an executive engineer in a variety of different management roles. I started off with a small team of, uh, I think it was about a dozen people when I started, and it grew to over 300 uh, with one of the posts that I had. Um, and in between, and during that period, they also paid for me to go to uh, Leicester Polytechnic to do a diploma in management studies. Uh, so I went there from 74, 75, uh, got a distinction in uh, diploma in management studies. I was becoming a bit frustrated with uh, the uh, promotion regime. You know, and you talk about gamification. Well, the promotion regime in... Um, 
in those days of uh, public sector organisations was a little bit like a game. You had to reach the right level of seniority before you could be even considered for uh, promotion. It wasn't nothing to do with your ability. Um, you had to reach the right level, and that was based on time, how long you'd been in a post. Um, and so uh, I tried to uh, subvert the system, if you want to put it that way, uh, because my, my grade, there was no way round uh, getting promotion with the particular grade that I have as executive engineer. But I discovered that the post office were going to be setting up a new management training college uh, near Rugby, a place called New Bolt Revel. They'd invested in uh, quite a big property. It used to be a girls' school, and they're going to locate all of their management training there. Um, and because management training had a different uh, structure and different job posts uh, to the, uh, the traditional engineering ones, um, I reasoned that there was an opportunity, if I was already involved in management training, to get fast track to become go up to the next promotion level. So if you like, I used a game cheat. I uh, applied for a post as a management tutor at the post office management college down in Bexhill. Um, and this meant me uh, commuting uh, uh, on a Monday, driving down to Bexhill from Leicester, staying the week in, in, uh, near Bexhill, um, and then driving back on a Friday afternoon, spending the weekend at home, um, just waiting for the time when the, 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 the college transferred to closer to where I this was a, a, a great plan in theory, um, but in practice, it, the wheels fell off because the unions objected to centralising all management training at this place. Um, and consequently, I was left with a, with a situation where either I stayed down in Bexhill um, or I begged for my job back um, in the Leicester telephone area, or I did something else. And so... I decided, uh, partly because um, I found the, the routine of manage, management training a little bit um, uh, boring after a while. You know, there was a, it was a course uh, designed for people going into first, uh, first level um, uh, management. Um, and so I, I decided I was a bit too entrepreneurial for this sort of thing. So um, I reasoned that if I, uh, if I wanted to, to, to get on in life, um, I needed to get out of the post office um, and find a way of starting my own business. Um, and just a little diversion on that, because this, this was really, in my time down in Bexhill, it was really my first time that I came across the use of gamification. And long before the word gamification came into an existence, um, we used as part of the training programme, back would be about 1978, 77, 78, we used a game called Action Maze. Um, and, and basically, um, it was all based around um, these uh, three conflicting um, demands on managers when they're assessing any situation, the needs of the individual, the needs of the job, and the needs of the organisation. Um, and so in making management decisions, the difficult ones, you need to try to balance these. So they had this action maze game, which was based on you as a new 
um, uh, manager having to deal with uh, one of your staff who's, who previously was good behaviour but then started coming in late. And so this was a hierarchical game. So you had a starting point where you were given three cards uh, with options that you could choose. Uh, one of them uh, favoured the individual, one of them favoured the, um, the, the job, um, one of them favoured the, the, the organisation. So you had to navigate your way through this maze to, to, to learn how to make these kind of judgments. Um, and so we, we used this game and so the, 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 the players or the, the new managers uh, would be placed with this dilemma of this guy who was previously good behaviour coming in late. What do you do? Uh, so they would choose a card and that card might say, well, you know, he's been a good employee. You need to cut him a bit of slack. Um, so you bring him in, you interview him. Um, and you say, I'm going to give you a bit of uh, lenience, so I'm going to allow you, you know, on the odd occasion to come in late and you won't get punished for it because I understand your situation. Or you could say, well, you know, you, you've got to have the same rules as everybody else. The job says you've got to be there at eight o'clock, you've got to be there at eight o'clock. And so you have these decisions and then with each decision comes a consequence. Um, so if you say you're going to cut him some slack, then you get the next set of cards um, and that one says, well, now your, uh, your other staff are really angry with you. You know, they've stopped working so hard because you're showing favouritism to this person. And so this, this um, tree progresses up to a final conclusion, which could be either the guy resigns your staff work out or walk out uh, or the job suffers or if you have the right kind of balance with your decision making uh, you finish up uh, with a compromise situation where you make the best of the uh, best of the situation so that was my my first example of of gamification and in fact um, I even devised my my own little uh, uh, game uh, based on um, uh, based on body language more than anything else, recognising body language. And so what I did was I, I recorded my, myself in a number of different situations uh, responding um, to, to, to something. So the first one might be, um, you know, there's a fire in the office. Uh, and so you see my reaction. Um, another one uh, might be when I'm interviewing somebody um, and I'm displaying the wrong kind of body language. So I film myself in the same scenario, but with different types of body language responses. So if I'm interviewing somebody um, and it's maybe an appraisal, for example, and you're, you're telling them how you feel that they've gone on in the last uh, few months. So um, on uh, I, I would be, as a good manager, I would be perhaps leaning forward, looking sympathetic, showing all the visual body language signals that I, I was listening to what they had to say. Uh, but on, I could do the same uh, scenario, but completely different body language. Um, you know, looking at my watch, uh, you know, scratching my head, looking around, 
all of these things. And what I did was I made these little series of videos and I played them without any sound. And I said to the, uh, the, the, the game was effectively, you have to guess, what is this? Is this a disciplinary interview? Um, is this uh, an appraisal interview? Um, or is it an emergency in the office? Um, you know, different scenarios and simply on the basis of body language, they had to make their, to discuss it in little groups and make their own judgment about um, what my reaction was. Um, so they're all digressed, but the, the, the point was that whilst I was down there, I had plenty of time on my hands because you weren't face to face with the students, probably only 50% of the time. The rest of the time you were you know, thinking about um, the next session or making plans for new types of learning activities. Um, and so I saw how telecoms and computing were converging. And so I decided I'd love to have my, my own business that, that where we combine telecoms and, and computing, because that's where the future is. And I thought to myself, what do I need to do to, to get myself in this position? And I didn't have any sales experience and don't, I still don't regard myself as a salesman. Um, and I didn't really have any computing experience of any note. So I thought if I can be a computer salesman with a top class company, that's going to open the door for me. And that's what I did. I applied to uh, IBM, ICL, NCR, Burroughs, all the big computer companies. Um, and I got a job with IBM. And so I joined them in 1979. Um, and that part of my career planned well, because I, I had five years with them. Um, I had very good sales results um, in the last couple of years uh, and he finished up where a friend of mine wanted a, a computer in his office and so he agreed to uh, do a deal with me where he provided me with an office and some startup capital um, and I looked after, I found him a computer, um, an IBM System 34, looked after it for him and that, that got me that got me on the road. So that, that's how it all started and Without going into all of the detail, uh, most of my, my career in those early days was trying to establish myself as a, a leader in presentation services. So we, we actually were the first company in the UK to be appointed as a, uh, be appointed as a PowerPoint, a Microsoft PowerPoint Centre of Excellence. Um, and we were the leading presentation services company in the UK, probably in the in the mid-1990s, and we set up the National Presentation Network. Um, and all of these developments really were littered, if you want to put it that way, with examples of, of gamification uh, in, in various forms to try and develop win-win relationship with people where you put a proposition to them, which hopefully they, they got enough to gain from it as you had. So... Uh, that's where gamification came in and unfortunately um, a combination of circumstances mainly because um, the partnership that I had with the Plant Sprint organization um, uh, came off the rails when they were bought out by a company who wanted to use the network that, that I set up for their print factories rather than my presentation services and so I had to re-engineer uh, the business um, and, and that's where uh, long circuitous route. I finished up as a project manager at Demont University, building bridges between 
academia and industry. And it was there that um, I heard about the Serious Games Institute. In fact, it was my boss who tipped me off about the Serious Games Institute wanting somebody to set them up um, and establish them as an international centre of excellence. And uh, even though I didn't regard myself, I don't regard myself as a, a games player um, particularly, it was more in hope than expectation actually that I applied for the job as a founding director. So uh, if anything, nobody was more surprised than me when I got the job at the age of 52, um, you know, not exactly a you know, a boy gamer or, or somebody who got a, a long track record in, in the games industry. So that's basically, you know, how, how that part of it started. So in that case, David, from the Serious Games Institute, what was it working to achieve? Well, um, the Serious Games Institute was, um, was part of Coventry University Enterprises. Um, and the background to it was that the... Uh, Advantage West Midlands, the regional development agency at the time, they were looking for ways of overcoming the decline of the manufacturing industry in the West Midlands. They were concerned that the automotive industry was going down the tube, and so they were looking to invest in new industries that had high growth potential. And it so happened that at the time in the West Midlands, they had some of the biggest independent games companies in the world, uh, like Blitz Games, for example, in Leamington Spa. Uh, they they were, were, were really leaders um, in console game development, and there were other companies in Solihull and in the West Midlands. And so one of the directors at Advantage West, West Midlands uh, recognised that, that suddenly there was this term serious games being funded about. Um, and so they had the idea that if they could build on the strength of the games industry in the West Midlands and become a leader in this, if you like, diversified version of uh, the games industry, focusing on uh, games for serious purposes, uh, they, this was, a, if you like, um, a window of opportunity. No one else was doing it. Uh, so uh, they, in partnership with Coventry University, decided that the way to do this was to set up an international centre of excellence uh, for serious games to establish the West Midlands and Coventry University as leaders in how games could be applied for serious purposes. So it was mainly uh, to do with regional development, it was to do with business incubation, helping new startups to uh, create, um, and also for applied research, uh, attracting good quality people to the West Midlands and to Coventry University and, you know, building their reputation abroad. So in that case, what have you seen over the last uh, decade, decade and a half then, um, in terms of great examples of serious games, uh, great examples of health gamifications? What's been on your radar? Well, they're just legion examples. Now, I would say that it's it's pretty much um, ubiquitous in, in one form or another. Although people don't recognise it as gamification, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say that you know the S series games or SGI um, was you know played an enormously important role in that. I think it played it did did play an important role because we 
Um, you know, we spoke at conferences uh, all over the world. And in fact, the, I suppose the biggest contribution that uh, we, we, we made was the fact that um, it, it became almost a, a model of best practice, which has been adopted in Singapore, in the USA, and in South Africa. This combination of business incubation, employ research and showcasing of uh, technology, the, the, the model that we set up has been adopted. But going back to the question that you asked about um, the, some examples of the, in fact, one of the very first uh, examples of a serious game that was properly uh, researched uh, was a game that was developed by the serious games arm of Blitz Games. You know, Blitz Games, um, the biggest independent games company in the world at the time, with lots of AAA games, and they decided that this was a, a big opportunity. So what they wanted to do was to validate the use of serious games for training, um, and particularly paramedics. I mean, they had a number of different training, uh, example training uh, applications, which I, I can tell you one or two examples of, but their best known probably was one that was properly uh, research validated, um, was a, a game which was based on training paramedics to deal with an explosion in a, in a city centre. Now, clearly, um, you can't, you don't blow up city centres to, to train people to deal with casualties, you know, uh, and, and this is one of the reasons why, why health and medicine is such a rich area for gamification and games, because there are so many um, limitations on what you can do um, without injuring people or asking people to be ill or uh, they have to be simulations. So you have to have a games element to them. Uh, but this game for paramedics um, uh, was based on uh, creating this um, uh, immersive environment which showed the aftermath of a city centre explosion. Uh, the city centre was actually based on Leamington Spa. Uh, but there were casualties lying on the floor and there was broken glass and there was a whole uh, range of it. Um, and it's not a slight, it's not a digression really, but um, one of the fundamental parts about this was the need to have some level of fidelity in the game, some level of realism. And so they use their games expertise with high fidelity games to find a way of linking the appearance of an avatar, somebody who's injured, to real medical data. And so they were probably one of the first people to, to use um, 3D scanning, medical scanning of a human being uh, to then apply the mechanics that they use in the games industry to show expressions and emotions. So their first example was something called Dying Dave, ironically, um, based on one of their uh, graphics designers called, called Dave. So they did a, a 3D scan of his head and then using the, uh, using the techniques of the games industry, they then animated his face to show different kinds of emotions like disgust, horror, laughter, all of these things were done by having key points on different parts of his face that you could adjust 
to simulate the emotion uh, because they didn't have the bandwidth or broadband or technology we have today, so they couldn't do it anyway. Anyway, they, they then moved on to that to create something called Dying Dave, um, where they made a video showing what it would be like for someone to die of a head wound over a period of 60 seconds. And believe me, it's still horrific today. It really is. Even though you're talking about 17 years ago, when this, 15 to 17 years ago, when this was done, um, it is still incredibly realistic. So they use this expertise to create the injured uh, victims. And then they did a trial. 50 paramedics played this game, which had to be on a desktop uh, uh, computer. Um, and the, the idea was that you had to triage uh, the injured people. So you had to go through the correct triage protocol. You've got to be able to correctly identify whether they were going to die, whether you need to treat them immediately, what you need to do with them. So you had to go through this routine of pulse, you know, heart rate, all these things you're supposed to do. So 50 people played the game and 50 people had the traditional training, which involved the use of mannequins or actors. Um, and the result of the training, when they came to do the assessment, was that um, the people who were trained using the serious game were at least uh, as effective and uh, retained the knowledge as much as the people who were trained traditionally. In fact, they showed a uh, verifiable improvement uh, over the uh, traditional training. So that was probably the very first um, example of a serious game for, uh, for, for health practice. Um, they went on then to do um, uh, gamification of, um, for new doctors. Uh, and this was based on a problem they had in the northwest of England was that trainee doctors were coming straight out of a university or straight out of medical school. They were going into hospitals and they were misdiagnosing uh, people who were coming into A&E because they'd never come across these situations before. And so what they did was they created a, a kind of gamified environment where avatars of different ethnicities, different age, different backgrounds could be almost automatically generated at random um, with these people with different backgrounds, but then displaying the right symptoms for a particular uh, condition. And so the doctors played this game to understand, you know, have some experience of, of how to deal with these situations before they actually tried it out on, on, on real people. So gamification um, in, in health, Health and the military are the two primary uh, areas where serious games started because in both situations it's either impractical or inordinately expensive or dangerous to be able to train people. Um, and so this is where the, the origins of serious games and gamification came from. I guess some of the similarities I'm thinking now are particularly uh, military training, where in those extreme scenarios and situations, you are dependent on people, conscious level, but a subconscious level, because there is so much information they need to take in and make decisions so quickly and critically. And the idea of being able to train people in example scenarios which are so immersive that they do truly train those subconscious uh, decision-making patterns 
is so important. And thank you for that. That was a great example, David. In that case, given your experience, you've interacted with so many different organizations in terms of a serious games and a gamification perspective. Where do you think is going next? Where do you see the future of serious games and health gamification? Well, I mean, I think gamification is part of our everyday life. You know, this is the message that, that, that I try to get over to people who are thinking about gamification is it's not something that's new. It, it's actually something, I believe, that's embedded into our human DNA. We naturally gamify. And some people are better at gamifying than other people. Um, and you could argue, um, sadly, that the current situation in, in Ukraine is a classic example of gamification. Um, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin, I think, is a master of the art of uh, of gamification uh, and is really testing out the resolve of the um, you know of, of NATO and of the European uh, Union and it's a very very serious game um, and I think that's probably a very bad um, way of using gamification but unfortunately there are a lot of people who use game psychology and games mechanics for ill purposes um, they, they use it for their own personal uh, ambitions or intentions. And so, you know, I have to be very cautious when I tell people um, how to look at gamification. But anyone, if you think about it, gamification applies in our everyday lives. Gamification between males and females, between husbands and wives, it's it's, it's a regular practice. It's a negotiation most of the time um, and, and exists of finding this balance between ideal win-win relationship where you are not uh, dominating a, a person. You, you are using... Women, I think, are often better at gamification because they have subtle psychology of um, a way of creating... Uh, uh, scenarios and, and, and challenges which um, because they understand men far better than men understand women um, they tend to be usually more successful uh, than, than men in my experience at gamification. Sorry that was a bit of a ramble what was your question? Uh, that was a bit of a tangent there but I guess where do you think gamification is going to go next? In the next 10 years I appreciate that game mechanics are built to a lot of different services and products we see um, do you think the term gamification may be less used because it's just ubiquitous of all services? Um, or do you think there'd be much more of a focus around gamification that's role in creating behaviours, particularly healthy ones, going into the 21st century? Well, yes, I think and that's where uh, technology, I think, plays an important role. Uh, I think if you look at the, uh, the challenges to global health, and there are enormous, uh, enormous number of challenges in global health all of these in a way have uh, potential for gamification and I, I say that the really we as a society we really only have three options if we are to deal with some of the health challenges that we face today um, uh, the first option is to do with developing vaccines and cures and it's based around the premise that the health system um, and medicine are really there to solve 
clinical problems. So that is their, their role. And so you need to spend money, uh, time, energy. As a society, we need to uh, develop solutions for health problems. And this is where the focus on, on vaccines and, and drugs uh, uh, comes into it. The second option that you have um, is all based around, also based around behavioural change. Um, and that's to do with legislation. Uh, you can adopt uh, strategies for, as a government point of view, uh, gamification strategies actually, to, to, to say, um, look, you need to self-isolate, you need to wear masks, and you apply legislation to try and solve the situation. Um, so people are given a challenge, and the challenge might be you've got to wear a mask in a public place. Now, that's not going to make a good number of people happy, uh, but there are consequences to it. It's like any kind of game. Um, there are risks and rewards. Um, so for those people who don't want to wear masks, um, then they, you know, they take the risk of either... Uh, catching the, the, the disease um, or infecting other people um, or finding themselves on the wrong end of a fine. Um, so, the, and then the third example, which I think is where the future lies, is, is in preventative health care and behaviour change through gamification. So if we look at those three options, uh, are the problems associated with, um, with, with each of them. With the first one, with developing drugs and vaccines, we have an enormous problem with comorbidity. Uh, that is a reliance on drugs uh, to solve problems. Uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any means. I've had my, my three uh, doses. I've had my flu jab as well. Uh, I have to say that I don't normally have a, a flu jab, but this time I did. Um, and I would never discourage anybody from taking vaccines. Uh, but the reality is a lot of the medical problems that we have today are because of our reliance on drugs. Um, and the way that drugs interact with each other is not always good. Um, and if you look at my, my partner's father who died last October after spending the last 11 months of his life living with us, his drug regime was, was horrendous. Uh, you know, he, the, the number of drugs that he had to take and all of these were balance, trying to balance against each other. And so although he didn't have any problems with dementia, his mental state was good. Um, his health was in part poor due to the combination of drugs that he had. And of course, now we, we're getting resistance to antibiotics that we've seen. So this is very tempting as human beings to like this first option of developing drugs and vaccines because it absolves us responsibility. We don't have to do anything. Don't worry, the scientists will find a, a solution to this problem. Um, and so you just sit back and relax until the problems start to uh, occur. So that's a, a problem with, um, with the first option. The second option is, of course, to do with civil, um, uh, civil rights. You know, we... we expect in the developed world to have a level of freedom. We resent um, interference at that kind of level uh, with, um, with, with the government. Um, and unless um, 
what you finish up with is what we've had uh, over the last couple of years is constant use of data in front of us. This is how many people have got the infection. This is how many people have got in the hospital. This is how many people are dying. You know, this is a gamification strategy to put into people's minds that, you know, really there's a big risk involved in not wearing a mask, the big risk involved in social distancing. Um, uh, and so this strategy, you know, is, is limited in effect, particularly at the moment, as I found, you know, I'm just recovering from, from, from COVID. And it's been, for me, it's been like a heavy cold, basically. Um, and when you get that, uh, when you get that scenario, you get a lot of people uh, who've had COVID and had that experience. Uh, then the general population starts to say, well, you know, it's not so bad. You know why? Why should you know why should we wear masks? And uh, you know, what's the point in all of this? It's destroying the economy, uh, and so that has its difficulties. And this is why I think that the the third angle, and um, which is how we use technology and gamification strategies as a way of influencing be behaviour, uh, and as technologies get more sophisticated and more um, I call them ambient. They're part of everyday life. They're not something we we really have to uh, to think about. Then this will in turn influence our behaviours and our personal health management. And in fact, it's it's how I got involved with health in the first place. Apart from my days at the Serious Games Institute, um, I applied gamification uh, um, and health uh, to to my own physical health. Uh, and it really wasn't because I was um, was ill at all. Um, I've been very lucky in my life, Touchwood, that I've not really had any serious health problems apart from appendicitis when I was at university. But that was the only time I've been in hospital. Uh, but it happened uh, some uh, eight years ago. Um, friends of mine who'd seen me in a play uh, called uh, You Ought to Be in Pictures. I played a, a failing uh, Hollywood film producer. Uh, one friend told me that, um, asked me where I got my stomach padding from, and I wasn't wearing any. Um, another friend told me that I was getting fat, and I like to be worried about it. Um, and again, that was the water off duck's back. Then I met an, an Australian academic, and I had a coffee with her, and she said, you should have your DNA tested. You, you've got Russian blood in you. You look like a Russian bear. <laughs> so I sent off a DNA to 23andMe.com. And I, I mean, I, I don't have any, well, I've got a low, very low probability of having Russian blood. But it did tell me, uh, this is where data comes in in gamification, that I got a 50% greater chance of getting diabetes too. Um, and that did make me think a little bit but not too much. Uh, then I saw a BBC website where they were talking about this jawbone up wearable device that could measure your uh, your steps and so on. And this was the start of the 10,000 steps mantra. Um, and so putting it all together, and this was just after I'd left the Serious Games Institute, I'll, I'll gamify my health. I'll see if I can apply gamification um, and see what it does to my health. And 
Within three months, I lost 21 kilos. Uh, and that, that began initially with 10,000 steps, 10,000 steps, uh, looking at my uh, calorie intake and looking at my, you know, what I was burning, uh, looking at my sleep, my hydration, all of these things on the jawbone up. Um, and it not only made me realize that gamification uh, can change your health behaviors, but it made me realize you know, what a difference to my physical and mental health doing this made. Um, you know, it, it was it was really amazing. So I tried to, to share my my experience with uh, with other people. I'm afraid <laughs> there are still quite a number of people who uh, when they see my, you know, my Fitbit or you know, my other devices um, measuring my steps, some people, believe it or not, think that if you wear a Fitbit, you will automatically lose weight. <laughs> I don't know where they get that idea from. Um, but, you know, having increasingly sophisticated devices, which are now becoming more and more clinical grade, uh, and so they are more reliable uh, in terms of measuring your health, being able to visualize this in a way which not only informs but motivates people, I think is key to behavior change. Um, and so although you know we know that um, uh, amongst people who are, um, you know, if you like, younger and, and more concerned about their looks and their, their physical appearance, these, you know, this is becoming regular practice and this is why you see adverts of Peloton and all uh, David Lloyd, all these, all these things on television now um, are extolling the, the virtues of, uh, of, of healthy uh, exercise. And I think eventually over the next uh, five years, it will filter into more and more people. But the, the technology needs to be more ambient and they need to be more geared, uh, better gamified in, in other words, I think. Thank you very much, David. David, it's been fantastic having you on the show today to talk about some of the steps involved in set institutions for serious games, the role of gamification in immersive games, in training clinical staff, in those extreme scenarios where it's just not practical to blow up a city when you want to train people in that way, and the importance of gamification and health prevention in the 21st century. Um, it's been great having you on the show today, David, and thank you very much for joining us. Well, it's my, my pleasure, and, and I, I hope that um, uh, listeners will get <clears throat> some value to it. If I may, I'll just, just close with, a, with an example, which um, um, I think you can use as a kind of uh, template if you want to try gamification for yourself. Uh, and it's based on a game that I developed for my, my 70th birthday party. Uh, you know the scenario, you get a lot of people coming to uh, a party, most of people don't know each other because my partner's friends and uh, uh, my friends are quite different, never met each other. How do you get them to talk to each other um, and enjoy the evening to the full extent? So I, this was an example of, of, of how I use gamification to do that. Uh, so what I did, and anybody who is having a party or anybody got that same thing, or even if you're setting up a conference or a webinar, you can do something very, very similar. Uh, what I did was to get everybody to send me a sentence or two sentences about 
something that nobody or very few people knew about, something unusual about their life. Um, and so I made a series of cards up uh, with these one-line sentences, like, for example, in my case, um, I was a television extra on Doctors. And not everybody knows that. Um, and But other people had other things, you know, I've got a, a tattoo in a very intimate place. <laughs> uh, all, all, these, all these sentences. Um, and then I made ID cards with a photograph. And I put these in, in a lanyard. And I gave people at random lanyards. So they didn't get their own lanyard. They got a they they got a, a photograph and they had a board up with these sentences and they had to try and find the person who matched that one word sentence about them. And so you've got people talking to each other and saying, Is it you who's got this tattoo in this funny place? Uh, and you know, it worked extremely well. Um, and so it's this combination of setting a challenge, making it fun. Um, and creating something that is win-win uh, for everybody. Um, you can do that in almost every aspect of your life, but please do it um, for good purposes and not malevolent ones. I think that's a very important ethical standpoint to, to finish on. David, thank you again for your time today. It's been great having you. My, my pleasure.